Good morning, everyone. This is Paul Cerro from Cedar Grove Capital. It is Tuesday, September 6th, and today we're going to be talking about our most recent publication, Broken Arrow, the consumer is not quote-unquote okay, and some pressures are beginning to show, and it doesn't look good. So this whole year so far, investors have been trying to gauge whether the consumer is okay. Many have pointed to various different data points that all have provided positive reassurance, such as retail spending, travel data, COVID-era savings, low-fixed mortgages, company earnings beats, etc. I know because I'm one of those investors. Investing in consumer and retail is what I do, and while I have been burned in a few areas, I have been more or less optimistic about the consumer based on all the other information that many of us have all been looking at. However, despite near-record inflation in both broad-based and core numbers, there are still many out there that say the consumer is fine. I think they're wrong. I've officially moved over to the camp that the consumer is not okay. Because of my sentiment has changed, as of market close on September 2nd, Cedar Grove Capital has exited all of its positions except for Twitter and call options on Agrify. Twitter is strictly for the arbitrage opportunity, which I've attached to research in the link in the post, while other options on Agrify have been already written off as zero, but hey, you never know. In no particular order, here's why I changed camps and why I think the consumer is only beginning to feel pain. First off is layoffs. I have thought about this a lot because the most common misconception about unemployment is that layoffs equal a bad economy. Not necessarily because despite layoffs, unemployment still remains near its all-time low. However, what many fail to realize is that it's not about the number of layoffs in this instance, but rather what else is happening in relation to jobs. I came across, and I'm, gonna, I'm so sorry for mispronouncing this, uh, Nemdi Eregbulem's, again, I'm so sorry for your, <laughs> messing up your name, um, substack called Layoffs Don't Tell the Whole Story, and I've linked it in the post. And he put my exact words, or my thoughts, thoughts into words. So I'll be referencing bits and pieces from the article. If you have time, I would implore you to take some time out of your day to read it. What he calls for is that layoffs aren't even half the story. They're about 10% of it. The real story is hiring freezes, not layoffs. During the Great Recession, an abundance of capital and the desire to succeed left many to jump ship for better opportunities. Companies flush with cash had no issues, lighting money on fire in the name of growth and needing to support that growth by hiring more. At the start of this year, there were over 11 million job openings and only 3.5 million Americans claiming unemployment benefits, about three open positions for each American claiming unemployment benefits. Seems good, right? At face value, yes. However, what's been going on now is that these job openings are going away, aka freezing. Employers simply stop hiring during recessions because planned headcount gets drastically reduced during events like this. You might lay off 100 people, but you forego hiring 200 employees in the future. And this is just an example. This becomes a double whammy because now you have a set of people not joining your company and that will be entering the workforce, but also an existing set that's currently fighting for another job. Additionally, getting laid off puts a reality check in workers' minds about perhaps needing more of a safety net in their bank accounts and will thus pull back on spending. Even though there are jobs to be filled, it's more a psychological effect of how ill-prepared they might be, especially when the government is, isn't backstopping with stimulus anymore. So the key takeaways are jobs getting pulled means future growth unpredictable. Layoffs equals a reality check for emergency savings uh, come unexpected events. So that's more money not being circulated in the economy. 
So next up, which is the biggest one of this whole year, nothing new, inflation. The Fed has two jobs, control inflation and maximize employment. That's it. Unfortunately, U.S. inflation has been on the up and up over the last year, even though it has eased slightly to 8.5% in July, but remained close to a four-decade high despite cooling energy prices. Prices are going up throughout the economy, but not uniformly. Grocery prices were up 1.3% in July from the prior month and rose 13.1% in July from a year ago, the fastest annual pace since 1979. Dining out costs are also rose. Additionally, consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of the U.S. economy economic activity, edged up 0.1% last month after advancing 1% in June. Economists polled by Reuters had forecast consumer spending would gain 0.4%. However, the so-called core personal consumption expenditures, the PCE, the price index increased 4.6% on a year-on-year uh, basis in July, the smallest annual advance in nine months, followed a 4.8 rise uh, 4.8% rise in June. Though oil prices have dropped significantly, rental costs have remained hot, leaving some economists hesitant to declare that inflation has peaked. Rent and wages have been the two of the biggest culprits of high inflation, and the nasty part about them are that they are sticky, meaning they don't just come down all of a sudden like energy or used car prices. Rent in, in major metropolitan cities like New York has seen the median one-bedroom renting for over $4,200 a month. Restaurant and retailers are advertising starting wages at over $20 an hour for certain low-level positions. My concern with inflation is that it will stay elevated for longer than people expect, and with the Fed's job of taming it, sustained inflation means Jay Powell will have to continue raising rates until it slows. This is what might trigger a recession if we aren't already in one. So quoting from Powell um, from his Jackson Hole uh, event, these are unfortunate costs of reducing inflation but a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain, end quote. So there are only so many hikes to rates that consumers can handle before they wake up in mass and start pulling back. Could this coincide with the seasonality of winter? Perhaps, but we won't know that in hindsight, until in hindsight. But what we can use is manager's commentary on earnings calls, which I'll be talking about more on shortly. So takeaways, inflation is eating into savings and some consumers are already not being able to keep up. If inflation continues the way it has, drawdowns on credit cards will only get worse, exacerbating the debt issue. So this actually brings me to the next point, debt. I remember in college uh, interview for investment banking in a leveraged finance group, I made a joke about how Americans run on debt just like they run on Duncan. I got a chuckle out of that one, but the point still stands. Americans love using money that isn't their own. It's what fuels the economy. If we look at the graph above, Revolving consumer credit took a serious dip during the pandemic. Makes sense, since we couldn't do anything or go anywhere. But since the economy reopened, many Americans have been taking on more debt at a record pace and then some. Consumer credit has jumped to over $1.125 trillion and shows no sign of showing slowing down. Now, I'm team debt, mainly because using cash is for rookies, but when debt starts getting too much to bear, that's where the problem starts to show. Let's look at how debt payments as a percentage of disposable income have fared. Short answer uh, is jumped. Though many of you might point to how it's still lower than pre-pandemic levels, the concern here is not the relative percentage, but at the rate that it's increasing. Common stock even tweeted how Bank of America data shows that the highest income group in the U.S. has now seen three consecutive months 
of contraction in discretionary spending on a month-over-month basis. This is the the income bracket of over $125,000 or more, so not not lower income at all. The speed at which debt payments are taking up disposable income is alarming and rapidly tracing back to pre-COVID levels. But this brings me to my next point. If consumers are taking on more debt than they have in the recent past, and the percentage of which debt payments are taking up disposable income is increasing, the pressure should start to form, right? Right. If we take a look at the graph above, there historically has been a relationship between unemployment and delinquency rates. This makes sense because the fewer unemployed individuals there are, the fewer delinquencies there should be. Not hard to wrap your head around that one. But what's interesting to note is that uh, unemployment has still been trickling down and the delinquency rate has been ticking up an inverse move from historical patterns. Research by uh, Athira, oh I'm sorry for this pronunciation, Athira Sanchez, uh, Tam and Young, again, sorry for everybody who's listening to that, butchered it, shows how this relationship can emerge in a model where low-income households may skip credit card payments, aka informal default, to sustain a minimum level of consumption. This holds true when it comes to simple everyday expenses like phone bills, This is why it's interesting to see the recent negative correlation between unemployment and delinquencies, suggesting that consumers are already starting this tactic of informal defaults. So with us talking about debt, let's look at the other side of this coin, consumer savings. At their peak in December 2021, Americans' excess savings totaled $2.7 trillion, according to a Moody's Analytics analysis. In July, the personal savings rate in the U.S. ticked down to a 14-year low of 5%. That's nearly half the rate it was in December, and roughly a third of where it was the year before. Many households are already in negative savings territory, meaning they are increasingly tapping into their savings to cover purchases each month. Quoting J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon, This isn't a normal recovery, and that fiscal stimulation is still in the pocketbooks of consumers. They're spending it. They're spending it at strong levels, end quote. But he added, the drawdown could mean that consumers have only about six to nine months of spending power left. And this is from a quote back in uh, May. Diamond remarks echoed uh, comments from PayPal CEO Dan Schulman at the World Economic Forum in Davos. The combination of high spending and high inflation means Americans are burning through savings at a rate that could have them running out by the end of this year. According to a recent survey from the NPD Group, more than 8 in 10 U.S. shoppers are planning to buy fewer things in the next 3-6 to months. The survey also found that consumers bought 6% fewer items in the first 3 months of 2022 than they did the same period in 2021. Considering that consumers make or break the economy, a slowdown in spending can send us into a recession, which UBS pegs at a 60% chance of happening in 2023. That's a 20% point jump from its June recession odds at uh, just 40%. But now, how are the companies doing? Let's let's check in on that. So if we look at company reports, um, long has it been that the consumer stapled goods have been some sort of safer refuge uh, during market volatility, meaning that because consumers more or less need these goods, they will cut out other things in order to pay for things that they will, you know, keep them alive. This means food, water, shelter, clothing, but mainly food. So this section is going to highlight recent Q2 earnings data and how many companies from both the staple side and the discretionary side have beat, missed, and either cut or withdrew guidance. Uh, This can help uh, imply financially what the consumer is doing. So let's take a look. And before we do, note how I kind of 
calculated these things. Um, I calculated my results based on if the company beat on sales, beat on earnings, and overall raised guidance for the year. If they did not raise guidance on a net basis, meaning that if um, they were saying that sales would be up and EPS is flat, or sales are flat and EPS is up, I counted that as a no change. Any earnings results that were labeled as in line were marked, were marked as a not beat. So first off, let's start with consumer staples. The consumer staples ETF, the XLP, has done relatively well this year, down only 5.89% versus the S&P 500 down 17.89%. While many have flocked to staples for the sense of security, recent Q2 earnings have started to show cracks. Take for example my research into earnings. I analyzed 29 consumer companies that reported since August 1st. The list of those tickers uh, are actually included in the footnotes in alphabetical order if you'd like to check them. Of those 29 companies, 41% missed or met sales guidance, 48% missed or met earnings guidance, or more earnings estimates, and 72% either reaffirmed or cut guidance. Given that staples have been fighting supply chain issues, rising input costs, labor challenges, and a weakening consumer, they more or less have been able to take price, meaning they've been able to raise prices to compensate. However, the results of Q222 suggest that the ability to take price is beginning to waver. Consumer discretionary. If you think that's bad, consumer discretionary hasn't fared any better. Year to date, the consumer discretionary ETF, the XLY, has returned negative 26.07%, versus the S&P 500 17.89%. For this set of companies, I analyzed 156 discretionary companies and applied the same logic as above. So the, the tickers can be found in the footnotes, uh, again, in alphabetical order. Of those 156 companies, 54% missed or met sales estimates, 44% missed or met EPS estimates, and 85% either reaffirmed, cut, or withdrew guidance. While I'm not as concerned with the discretionary names having issues, mainly because they've been beaten down so much this year, the staples should really have you worried. But if those are just the financial results, what is, what's management saying? So let's, let's jump into comp company commentary. Um, given that they deal, uh, they deal with how consumers spend their money, they should more or less know how their company is and how might uh, they weather the storm. Here are excerpts from both consumer and retail companies about their view on the state of the consumer. So first off, I pulled the CFO from Walmart. He's been saying, as the year has progressed, we've seen more pronounced consumer shifts and trade down activity, meaning that instead of uh, consumers buying more premium brands, like for instance, uh, somebody goes into Walmart to get chocolate chip cookies, they don't get the Chips Ahoy cookies, right? Because it's a premium brand. They'll buy the Walmart generic brand because it's much cheaper. Same, like same, same, but different. If we look at another Staples company, uh, the CFO of Clorox says, now I think it's worth noting, we have assumed in our most recent price increase we took in July, we've assumed elasticities revert back to what we saw historically, which means more negative than what we've seen in other previous two price increases. And we just think that there's a prudent assumption to make uh, given the pressure consumers have been under, and we expect that they will continue uh, to be going forward. Meaning, again, what I mentioned before, they really can't keep raising prices because consumers are already starting to get turned off. Um, pulling from Petco, one of my darlings, the CFO says, and as Ron said earlier, and Ron's the CEO of Petco, 40% of, the, of these of these purchases and supplies and companion animal are delayed, not canceled, end quote, meaning people are still buying, but they're just not buying at the rate that they were before. Um, so while they haven't actually canceled their orders, they're just not 
you know, actually getting them when they normally would get them. Uh, pulling from an electronics company, uh, Turtle Beach, for those of you who know it, um, the CEO says the slump in consumer spending also caused retailers to reduce purchases above and beyond the drops in demand for gaming gear and more than we expected. In addition, high gaming accessory inventories have led to increased promotional activities as retailers uh, and competitors look to bring down inventory levels, end quote. Um, so these are hard goods, electronics, again, not doing well at all. And if we go to the retailer, not even just the product manufacturer, but the retailer, so like Best Buy, for instance, the CEO, Corey Berry says, and I think you've got a very uneven consumer who is making corresponding choices depending on how long inflation lasts. And like I said in my prepared remarks, especially in those core categories like food, rent, housing. So I'd love to say it's perfectly stabilizing and we can predict it, but I still think you have a lot of factors at play that are influencing consumer behavior, end quote. So you have a lot of these C-suite level guys and, 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 and women who are trying to not make it sound worse than it is, but they themselves know like, hey, there's some serious changes happening right now and it's getting impossible to forecast because of how quickly things are changing. But if we look at kind of like how I see things, right, if we're just like wrapping up my entire reason for this post. So there's just so much data that is slowly materializing into not good news for the consumer. Even if inflation has peaked, sustained high inflation will continue to put pressure on Americans' wallets, and it's not going, going to go away overnight. While many still argue that you know things are not as bad as they historically have been, what they fail to realize is how different the environment is compared to last time. We have an active war in Ukraine affecting oil and energy prices, supply chain issues, commodity inflation, wage pressures, rampant rent increases, 30-year mortgages at 6%, which is more than doubled in the last six months from the start of the year, um, personal savings rates dwindling, and savings rates not keeping up to replace the dollar spent. I've done my best to stay positive this year and try to find the bright spots in the consumer market, but now it seems that things are rolling over. Not to be dramatic, but we could be coming up on something massive. What exactly would it entail? I would have no idea, but I can't see any end result here being a good one. Could I be early? Yes. Could I be wrong? Yes. Could I be wrong by breeding early? Also, yes. But my confidence in the consumer has waned, and that's why CGC will be sitting this one out until more substantial uh, supportive data arrives, uh, arises and not mere speculation of what the Fed may or may not do in any given week. Even shorting in this market is risky, given how much things change at a moment's notice. Let's see how things play out, but if you have any comments or feedback about how crazy or dumb this sounds, reply to this post and I'll be sure to answer. If you think others might be able to benefit from this, also make sure to share it with your friends. Uh, potentially the data points in the, in the post, the charts, the, the callouts, etc. might be useful to them. Um, but until next time, guys, this is Paul Cerro from Cedar Grove Capital. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks.